Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central. Only on PBS. My housemate, who is a fucking broadcast news journalist, is asking me to tackle his hair, and I'm like, "It's not <laughs> happening, mate." Uh, what about what? What about you, Dahi? Uh, I am never going to cut my hair. Oh, again. I'm just going to like let it grow. <laughs> it's looking ever, luscious. Ever, I haven't ever. seen you in a while. Welcome back, sir. Um, yeah, it's it's working for you. The lockdown's working for you. I'm starting to get like kind of like uh, I'm starting to get kind of like rapid fire teenage growth here going on every now and then. So I have to try and shave it off every few days. I think puberty's finally hitting. Anyway, let's start the show. All right, that's going on. How's it going? It's No Encore. My name is Dave Hanratty. This will be No Encore. That's how I usually do the intro, Craig, isn't it? I think. I think I nailed it. Yeah, there, I think so. Yeah. Usually with a bit more gusto, but week what eight of quarantine, you're allowed. <laughs> Let's just yeah, go into like a language version to... of the show. <laughs> yeah, it's like like I, I found myself kind of like like we got some really good feedback about the show this year since we've come back, and like a word that keeps popping up is like rev- you guys sound like revitalized. You sound like really refreshed. You sound really happy. <laughs> like. <laughs> Well, uh, we had a good run. Um, I, I've been debating about whether or not, like, being honest. And, uh, yeah, I've always been honest in the show. So I'll just say that uh going through a pretty bad patch, mate. But I'm here with me with, with me good friends. So, you know, yes, it's all good. Place for it's you. all better. My name this is, is Dave Hanratty. There will be no encore. He is Craig Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I like that intro. That was good. It's a nice little comeback. Yeah, no, this is a kind of weekly highlight for me at the moment. It's probably the most talking I'm doing as well, apart from, like, family chat. It's the most prolonged session of talking in my life right now. That's good. I mean, you know, other people can talk to us too, though. For example, exiled member of the show, Dahi Odroni, who's still with us after the interesting. Hello. Hey, what's up? Woo-hoo. How's it going? <laughs> Welcome back, sir. 
I'm I'm controlling the mics here. I'm trying to get everything level and everything. But uh, yeah, sounding good. Everybody's sounding good. Yeah, Dahi stepping yeah. in this week for producer Adam. We'll let you go in a couple of minutes, man, because I presume you haven't done your homework uh, this week on this show. On the show this week, though, there'll be lots of music news. There'll be no album review because there just wasn't anything worth doing. And we just were like, didn't fancy Ugh. it. I actually listened to the Ostra album and it's quite good. But yeah, I think like last week we were like, we'll only be doing something for the sake of it. Let's not. I think is the yeah, right which move. I was kind of like, oh, I was like, I heard that JoJo album's pretty horny, and then I heard myself saying those words out loud, and was like, I need to stop talking I think, for a while. Yeah, I, so I think instead. I replied. <laughs> I think I replied. I don't mind doing a horny JoJo album, and then we both quickly were like, let's not. <laughs> Shut it down. <laughs> Shut it, down Shut it completely down. Instead, we have a fairly packed news section and we also have a top five. And the top five this week is best album openers. That's sure to cause some debate. Dahi, anything off the top of your head? Good album opener? Good album opener. You can't pick um, your own. Can't pick your own. Take now. the wheel. No, you can't, I can't pick my own. Uh, what's a really good album opener? I mean, uh, Radiohead have nearly every single album has an incredible one. Uh, Kid yeah, A in particular. Uh, everything in its right place is probably my favorite opener to anything I'd say it's amazing that's a beautiful beautiful selection yeah put out the call on Twitter this week got a lot of a lot of replies a lot of suggestions and Radiohead was chief among them Dahi before we let you go and sink into the groove of staring at us on a remote screen and listen to what we say for a while <laughs> just a general life update man uh, I, 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 since you brought Vietnam to its knees how are, yeah. you, how are you feeling how, how's what life for I'm okay. It's been going. It's been going along. I can't. I, I'm finding it hard to kind of properly write music and stuff. So really, what I've been doing is noodling about with synthesizer stuff. Uh, I've been working on kind of side hustles and stuff like that. And then uh, basically, I got into meditating as well. Craig, you'll be happy to know. Oh, nice, uh, nice. What's your so, practice? What are you? What are you doing? Oh, I literally just started with the headspace thing. So I, I've kind of been cool. rattling through that pretty much every single day, which has been great. It's been really helpful. Uh, and then apart from that, um, I've been sitting on my balcony and trying to get as much sun as possible. That's the main thing, you know. Is that guy, uh, on the numerous times I've been over to you, Gaff, though, we've noticed that there's a hammock across the way. Mm. Never saw a man in the hammock, though. You've had obviously had a lot of chance, a lot of time now to catch up on this. So yeah. have you seen him in the hammock? Is the no, hammock? Nope. Still, even if he's in, in trapped in his house, he still is refusing to use his hammock. Maybe it's like kind of like a... <laughs> it's ridiculous. Some sort of like protest, maybe. Maybe it's like a he will not get on the hammock until... <laughs> we have a vaccine <laughs> is he just like <laughs> i like that is he just like is it like a status thing is he peacocking it's his I, like i show think show hammock yeah it could be a power play like it is a pretty good power play it if seems that, that way it. yeah you know the, the hammock is literally the size of his balcony it's like he can't stand out in his balcony because his hammock is in the fucking way it's mad this could like form the basis of a really ropey like reboot of rear window yeah, there's another person across the way, like in the window below him, which like has been this amazing, like it's almost like the start of a Pixar thing where like he was sitting on the couch for the first two weeks just watching TV, watching Netflix and stuff. And then slowly over time, he started doing like exercises. And then like this week, an exercise bike arrived. And now he's like doing exercise bike stuff and like moving slowly across the room. I can see the window <laughs> as he's moving from one side <laughs> to another, like slowly until he's going to end up like like a Marvel Avengers superhero thing like at the end like or something it's gonna be amazing nice wait. yeah i've been getting grumpier <laughs> and grumpier i'm not like becoming really? more neighborly whatsoever i think we've discussed on previous <laughs> weeks where i'm just like my patience has run out with people in the area around me um oh i nearly told uh i i, I nearly told an old man to go fuck himself in little the other day i was this <laughs> close to doing it and i would have been completely justified as well what happened well, I'm glad you asked, Craig. So essentially what happened was, because uh, you know, like right now, like, I mean, there's there's real t- proximity tension 
the new album from Tool coming out next week. There's a real fucking like scary kind of thing in the in the area when you're just like basically walking down the street. Also, have you have you noticed as well? Like if you're walking along, right? And you go to move out of someone's direct, like if you, let's say, like you you step to the right to create some space, someone coming towards you, but then they do the same thing, like mirroring you, and I get really offended that they do that. I'm oh, like, totally, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 me. Anyway, so this old man, right? So he, I say old man. He wasn't like fucking, you know, wizened old sage. He was probably yeah, like thirty nine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, thirty six. So essentially, um, I'm in the queue, and there's a weird thing happening where like they put this massive fucking palace thing full of things like a worker has put it there and they've gone off for a smoke break or something and there's people in front of me in the queue this young couple and they've got like these two giant bags of compost so there's already like a lack of spatial kind of i guess real estate going you know it's it's a pretty tight squeeze as it is and i'm trying to maintain social distancing and just you know get out there without getting the vid so i'm queuing up the vid hold on the vid are we going with the vid now i'm calling it the vid it's going to catch on yeah I know people have settled on the Rona, but I'm going for the vid. So, I don't want to get the vid, and I'm standing there. And I'm basically like, a woman comes up with her fucking pram full of kids. And I'm like, this is just like sitcom level nightmare. How many kids were in the pram? 16. I I didn't keep count. So, essentially, like, I'm just like... We're like tiny clowns. Baby clowns. (laughs) (laughs) All getting out of the pram. Yeah, it's a living nightmare. So, I step back, right? And I got to move out of the way. Gentlemen, chivalrous to the death I am. Possible, maybe even literally. And, you know, I give her the respect nod. I get it back, thankfully. Um, Meanwhile, this old fella just sidles up and takes my spot. And I'm like, (gasps) hmm... This I think to me. he's taken my spot. I think he's taken my spot. I was like, he doesn't appear to be uh, l- looking at the, the green tea section. So I kind of like let it go about 10 seconds. And then I sheepishly as fuck go, sorry, sorry there, man. And he just ignores me or doesn't hear me. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And then like another 10 seconds pass. And I'm like, okay, look, I'm going in. And I say, hey, sorry. And he turns around and he goes, yeah. And I went, are you, are you queuing up there? And he's like, I am, yeah. And I went, yeah, I was actually, I was actually here. I, I've been queuing like for the last few minutes. And he goes, no, no, you were standing off to the side, staring at nothing. And I went, sorry. <laughs> like, and he staring goes, yeah, at nothing. You're just, because you were just standing there doing nothing. And I went, uh, no, I, I moved out of the way for that woman and her kids. And, you know, and then he just gave me this look and like rolled his eyes to heaven and walked past me. And I was like, I think I'm going to actually commit murder today. <laughs> very very oh, oh, similar sorry, happened to sorry, me. Sorry, sorry, no, on, sorry, sorry. Do you, know the, do you know what the best part is? The best part is, Craig, this came after I had queued up, my card wouldn't work, and then I had oh, to yeah. go out, go get cash. I had to say to the security guard, do you mind if I come back and skip this queue because my shopping is upstairs waiting for me? So I had to go get cash, come back, skip the queue full of people looking at me, go upstairs, queue up all over again. And that's when that happened. And I was like, Michael Doug isn't falling down. I, it's amazing that we're doing this podcast and I'm not in prison. <laughs> I was outside Tesco a couple of weeks ago. And if there's one term I hate on social media at the moment, it's like the fucking OK Boomer thing. I just like can't stand it. This was so bad that it drove me to say out loud, fucking classic boomer. (laughs) So this dude, I'm like there with my trolley. The fucking queue is like snaking around the entirety of the Tesco. And we're kind of at a bend, right? So I'm I'm there queuing about 20 minutes, making slow progress. And some dude like in his 60s just like rocks up, not knowing where he's going, right? Looks me dead in the eye, fucking stops in front of me. And just shrugs and goes, I don't know where this queue starts. And turns around and just like stands in front of me. And I just went, oh, classic. Just stand there then. Classic fucking boomer. 
And I have noticed that it's all people in their 50s and 60s. You had any uh, aggro on the streets there, Dotty, before we let you go? Of course he hasn't. <laughs> of course he hasn't. <laughs> no, I've, had, I've had a lovely no. time. Everything's fancy. <laughs> It it is pretty pretty weird that like like today even out running I went to the post office earlier today as well and like it is like noticeably there is way more older people around I don't know if it's just like because they've been like in for so long and now they're out but like it just I'm just like oh, noticing out, way yeah. more it's like it's like a zombie apocalypse of old people basically is is, is what it's like yeah they've been let out to roam around like the fucking Nazgul <laughs> oh by the way sorry actually yes. <laughs> This ties in beautifully with a point I was going to bring up about my fucking cats this week. This has been a big life event for me. Right, so in terms of, like, neighbourly conflicts. Right, so for people that don't know, I've got two cats, two brothers. Uh, one is Bowie. He's um he's a loyal beast, to paraphrase Ramsey Bolton. And Harlem is the other one. And I learned this week he also goes by the name of Marmite and is hanging out <laughs> in some other gaff up the road. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> cats this can get coronavirus, passing. right? Cats, cats are able oh, to yeah, get totally, <laughs> totally. We're like freaking out. So this couple were like passing by the gaff with the biggest pit bull you've ever seen in your life muzzled during the week. And I was like working away. I saw Harlan was in the front garden, or sorry, Marmite. And he was like looking at them <laughs> and the pit bull. And I was like, shit's going to go down. So I was like going out. The dog didn't fucking care whatsoever and the couple like stopped and revealed that they knew all about this cat and apparently like every fucking morning he hops in their bedroom window, rolls around <laughs> on their bed and just hangs out in the gaff for hours and they've called him Marmite. And I'm like, what? Oh man. What? First of all, I think Marmite might be a better name. And second, Then Harlem, all, are you kidding me? You are, <laughs> Dahi's right, you're 100% getting the vid brought back to the gaff there, so... I don't know Watch what to out. do. Like, to be honest, just like lot, not let him out of the gaff or... And also I'm like having that thing where he seems like an entirely different cat to me now. I'm just like looking at this fucking <laughs> marmite chap and being like, <laughs> I feel cheated on. It's so weird. <laughs> Bowie's still a legend though. So you're, uh, you're taking this very personally then, yeah? I am. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I'm losing my mind. Okay. Okay, uh, Dahi, thank you so much for showing up today. And I mean, it's weird me saying goodbye to you now because you're still going to be there. <laughs> and I'm still going to see you now for the next hour or so. But, you know, just gonna, chime in if you want I'm going to go listen to No Encore for a while. It's going to be great. <laughs> I mean, you can stay. Like, like, if, you, if you have any strong opinions about, about, about anything in the rest of the show, by all means, chime in. You, you've got control oh, yeah. of your microphone. Yeah. I'm not going to switch you off. So if you start losing the um, run of yourself, I will say, I'll burst in. Yeah, please do. Just do a classic Culmeregan windmill. I will say, though, that, like, Dahi, like, Dahi isn't just a friend of the show. He's a patron of the show. He's one of the first people to throw some cash our way, which we really appreciate that. We love cash. And uh, if you want to throw us money that we definitely deserve, you can do so at patreon.com slash noencore. On a serious note, though, thank you very, very much to everyone who's supported the show so far. And yeah, I mean, like, you're not going to be buying pints anytime soon, guys. August the 10th. Do we think we'll be in the pub by August 10th? I don't. <laughs> like. uh, maybe, but like it'll be a very weird pub situation where we can't like go near each other and it's really not worth it. Um, yeah, so be cool like me and sign up for our Patreon, which I'm doing definitely this weekend. <laughs> I can't believe you haven't I know, done it. I know, I know I'm bad, but I'm going to like. do it. I'm going to do it and yeah, stick in a hundred quid. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything before we get to the news, Craig? 
Yeah, so we're going to talk about a few um, legends that have sadly passed away this week. One legend that passed away many moons ago that we've been disparaging quite a lot on recent episodes is one Jim Morrison. Um, the doors keep cropping up on No Encore. As a kind of figure or a band of fun, um, I have a personal dislike for their music. I don't understand. Vendetta <laughs> against Jim Morrison, I think, is the actual term I would use. Kind of. I feel like you're on the same wavelength as me. Not as... You don't feel as strongly about ah, this whatsoever. I'm but. fairly indifferent. Like, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. If I was in a... If I was at a house party and someone kept playing The Doors, I'm leaving. But, yeah, you know, they're yeah. easily avoidable, I think, generally. Well, w- one man who is not indifferent is David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young fame. Um, so I was listening to Time Crisis on Apple Music this week. He was on for an interview. And he's like, I did not realise how outspoken he is in general. Um, but he was asked about apparently a bit of a rivalry he had with the Doors gone way back and he gave like <laughs> the unvarnished take on Jim Morrison and the Doors. We've got an audio clip and I feel really vindicated with this. I don't think he was an evil guy or anything. I, I think he was just didn't have a clue. I didn't like how he sang. I didn't think he was that good a poet. And the way he behaved on stage was not how I want to behave on stage. My problem with the Doors runs much deeper than that. My problem with the Doors is that they didn't swing. They didn't swing because they didn't have a bass player. <laughs> they didn't swing because the keyboard player's left hand was playing the bass on that, what was it, a farfisa? The most awful sounding bass sound you ever <laughs> had. And he couldn't swing. The guy just <laughs> was a square wheel. He was played, it sounds like it was awful bass. They needed a bass player. And as a result, the Doors never swung, never swung at all. They made some records that were sort of okay, but they never swung. They never actually cooked like a, a real band cooks. They didn't cook, Dave. They did not cook. I love <laughs> uh, I love the like 60s terminology that he's carrying into 2020. It's so good. A <laughs> few takeaways for me from hearing that clip there for the first time. Is it, is it really bad that my mind instantly thought of sex when he was talking about swinging? I was like, oh, what? Oh, what? yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> Particularly with Jim Morrison, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, it seemed like a natural What is it, a far- of, uh, Farfisa? <laughs> I love that line. Also, what's with the fucking theme tune of Frasier playing in the background there? It's weird. It's like a jazzy backdrop. Have you ever considered that? Like, not that particular music, but like if we had a bed of music just keeping things lively on the show. I thought about the news section maybe needing it sometimes. I don't know. I mean, like, let us know, <laughs> listener. Uh, yeah, if we had like, what, like Morse code, just like <laughs> some kind of like, you know, Breaking Robocop esque. Yeah, yeah. Some kind of like dramatic fucking thing to yeah, either yeah. announce the section or at least run under. But then, I mean, like, sometimes the news section drags on for about 25 minutes. So it could become a bit of a problem. It really um, could. But, you know, we can, we can work on it for sure. Uh, do you want to talk about dead people, Craig? Yeah, um, so we did talk recently about how, you know, with the current state of affairs, a lot of people sadly are passing and we don't want to do the obituaries every week, but two absolute icons of music um, have passed that we have to have to kind of mark, show respect for. Tony Allen, uh, the news broke last Friday just when our episode was coming out and really kind of hit me hard. I'm a big fan of him. Um, iconic um, Afrobeat, high life drummer, um, seen as one of the creators of Afrobeat, um, Nigerian musician. He's worked with, he's, you know, worked with them all, um, you know, had a lot of collaborations with Damon Albarn in recent years, but he was just an absolute giant. And I guess maybe one of the last links to that lineage um, after, you know, Fela Kuti, um, who he worked with in the 60s, 70s, passed maybe two decades ago now, but 
like right up until his his death he was still working away i think he did shows in march um the cause of death was an aneurysm it was really sudden he was 79 which i did not know um i saw him with the good the bad and the queen last year only in bilbao he still looked great still playing like an absolute wizard so that one was a really hard one to take for someone that was kind of you know getting up there in years but just seemed like he'd still so much to give um I don't know how up to speed you are with his music. I mean, I would say if you if you have heard the name Tony Allen, like he revolutionized, I think, drumming, really. Um, his whole technique was just like, use all your limbs. Um, it was really, really flexible, incredible percussionist that just never stopped experimenting. I'd say maybe check out that Fela Kuti stuff he did um, as an entry point. There's some some amazing stuff. Uh, tracks like um, Water Get No Enemy is a good starting point. Um, but yeah, that was one. And also then more recently, we've heard of Florian Schneider from Kraftwerk. Um, he passed away at the age of 73. Um, he'd been battling cancer. Um, he'd actually been out of Kraftwerk for a number of years. He was working on a number of other projects. But yeah, I mean, what a what a legacy. Um, like, uh, you know, they talk about Kraftwerk being uh, Trans-Europe Express being the, the birth certificate of electronic music. And it probably doesn't, it isn't overstating it to say that. Um if you look at modern music, you've got stuff that's related back to blues and then you've stuff that's related back to craft work, really. So, yeah, a towering figure um, of music gone. Yeah, it was uh, particularly, I think in both cases, my Twitter timeline, which is always a good barometer of these things, I suppose, was absolutely outpouring tons of tributes before you even got to like the, the celebrity ones of which in both cases, particularly in the Kraftwerk one, I mean, maybe it's, that's more fresh in my memory. It was only about 24 hours ago at this stage of recording. Yeah. Um, you really don't have to look too far to see a lot of kind of almost essay length kind of tributes. And a lot of people, as you say, kind of effectively crediting pretty much everything that we like these days <laughs> like has a massive, massive uh, pointed influence to, I guess, both these guys, not just craft work. But yeah, I mean, yeah. like, if anybody was, I mean, like, I think you're a better barometer than I would be on, on both of these artists. So if anyone listening is curious, where should they start with either or both? Um, yeah, so I would say in the case of Tony Allen, it's you really have to go back to that Fela Kuti stuff. Um, just any kind of Spotify playlists are, are a great jumping in point. Um I, of course, adore his work on La Ritornelle, which is my favourite song of all time with Sebastian Tellier, but it's probably not the best example of his his style. He was really kind of um, understated, I guess, in his approach. He, like, you sh- probably shouldn't be getting into him expecting some, like, John Bonham-esque, um, you know, 20-minute drum solos, but just what he did underneath the sounds was transformational. Um, in terms of craft work... Man Machine was probably the one LP that I felt... With Kraftwerk, I was, uh, there's some tracks I love. It all, It's all quite cold and, like, Teutonic, obviously. And some of it sounds quite dated now. But Man Machine, I think, really holds up. Neon Lights is a gorgeous, gorgeous song. Um, Endless Europe is is a brilliant track as well. So maybe give those a go. But it's kind of... It, it's the kind of stuff where they've become so influential that things have moved on slightly. There's still tracks of, of total beauty, glacial beauty. But yeah, I think maybe they're just kind of um, victims of their own legacy, I guess, at this point. Well, you know, life goes on, Craig. And in a it week does. where... <laughs> Uh, and a brand new human being emerged, and uh, now emerged. has the honour of being, of, being of being the first, the first such uh, entity to be instantly cancelled by the entire world. It is, of course, the offspring of Grimes and Elon Musk. You want to have a go at the name here? 
Yeah, so apparently it's X Ash Archangel twelve. Um <laughs> which is related to a whole bunch of stuff. Um uh, most interestingly, an aircraft built for the CIA that is um the couple's favorite aircraft because it's great in battle but it's i don't know what is it just something about how it's non-violent. non-violent but great in battle which is i i saw a lot of people on twitter aside from like the jokes and the canceling um <laughs> clearly people that are into like military history being like well in fairness it is a tremendous aircraft which i love <laughs> <laughs> good choice okay they know their stuff um but best of all about this and I, i'm still not sure if it is the actual name or they're trolling or looking for attention which would be par for the course with these two but um <sighs> Grimes emerged from what was, I can only assume, a tremendous emotional and physical ordeal, giving birth, um, to explain the name on Twitter. Going out with Elon Elon Musk, I think, is what you're getting at there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Very good. Elon Musk um, immediately correcting her explanation of the name because she jumbled up some numbers and her being like, oh, sorry, I'm like just over major surgery and barely clinging to life. Sorry for the typos, which was great. Uh, I just saw a couple of hours ago, Elon Musk has been on Joe Rogan today, so he's using his time wisely. Great. Uh, I love these two. They're the real uh, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers of our day. You know, what, what will they get up to? Humphrey and Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. What will they get up to next? You know, desperate Dave, to know at every turn. Do you want to do you want to do a little game? Yeah. Okay. Fine. Okay. So I was looking at some like weird musicians, <laughs> offspring names, right? Um, there's some amazing ones. Some you'll probably know. Um, I've just jotted down a few. I actually didn't write this out properly, so I'll, I'll, I'll struggle over them. But how about we do a thing where I'll give you the musician and the offspring's name, a couple of options, and you tell me which one isn't real, right? So pick the fake. Okay? Okay, I can do that. So yeah, you know John you know John Mellencamp, who's like a cut rate Bruce Springsteen? Um, he <laughs> has a child with an interesting name. Tell me if it's either Speck Wild Horse or Trundle Stallion. Speck Wild Horse or Trundle Stallion. Start off Speck with an Wild easy Wild Horse. One. Oh, I have to pick the fake, do I? Yeah, pick the fake. Right. I think Trundle Stallion is not real. Yeah, yeah, you're bang on, yeah. I just came up with Trundle Stallion. Rick Ross (laughs) recently fathered a child. Um, Was the name Billion Ross or Rhymefest Ross? Hmm... So tell me the fake one, actually. The way I phrased that was... Yeah, give me the yeah, fake. You're, you're Billion or Rhymefest, which is here. fake. Rhymefest is fake. Yeah, two for two. Billion Ross. Listen, I know my stuff. <laughs> I know my stuff, man. <laughs> Billion Ross is so shit that it, it, it's clearly real. Like <laughs> It's perfect. It's like that time when like uh, Trump was like talking about Boris Johnson and he was like, oh, they call him Britain Trump. And I'm like, like, like even it's like Britain, it's, it's yeah, dumb. Can he? It's, it's dumb <laughs> anyway. Trump. But but even as like even as a basic two words put together, it doesn't make any sense. Rhythmically, the cadence of it. I know. Yeah, they call him Britain Trump. Like I remember <laughs> when I heard that, it was like the verbal equivalent of remember those memes of like Paul Blart Mall Cop, where it's just like this thing is not quite right and it's breaking my brain <laughs> like one of those yeah. things alright all right, okay. Fer- Fergie next? Fergie is apparently a huge Guns N' Roses fan and she has a Who child <laughs> is the fake name Slash or Axel did she name her kid Slash or did she name it Axel and, and I have to give you yeah. the fake um, I think that Axel is the fake and she named her kid Slash 
Incorrect. That was a good guess because, oh. of course, she appeared in a music video with Slash. Um, but she went with <laughs> Axel, which is terrible. A terrible, terrible shout. I'm sure the kid's great, though. And not as awful as Axel Rose. And we do one more, will we? Yeah, go on. Why not? All right. Okay. So, Andre 3000, Andre Benjamin. Um, he is a child with Erica Badu. Um, which is the fake name in this case? Pilot Inspector or Seven Serious? The fake name is is Pilot Inspector because someone else has called their kid Pilot Inspector. Yes. Did Jason, did Jason Lee call his kids he Pilot did. Inspector? <laughs> That's depressing did. that I know this. Hang on. <laughs> Seven Serious. That's it's a great the name. Actual that sounds like name. a fucking. It's very cool, like a, actually. Yeah. It sounds like, a, like like an Atari character. Like there was like six games or something. They never yeah, that totally rose. Particularly with the parents being so awesome as well. Like that just works on every level. Um, but you're right. Jason Lee called his kid Pilot Inspector because he was apparently a huge fan of the Granddaddy song. He's simple. He's dumb. He's the pilot, which is a great song. Fairness. Good stuff. Um, on the topic of uh, Grimes and Elon Musk, but I won't. I won't talk too much about it because I'm sure everyone else already is. I, I don't know I, I don't know why it, why they attract such um I'm not and this is not me about to defend them but also like I don't I don't know why they attract the level of animosity that they attract like as far as I'm concerned Grimes is a bit weird released a really good album this year Elon Musk seems like a fucking alien and I don't really have much fascination beyond that but man everyone was just I almost I almost pe- think the people who were jumping on board with like their shit quote tweets and their bad jokes are worse like it's like cool like this is what they want and you're giving it to them and I know we're talking about them on the show but it's a music show give me a break yeah yeah I I kind of can't help thinking that if Grimes was a male artist that had well, we actually, you know, we talked about Jay Electronica. Um, we reviewed his album with Jay-Z and he was bragging about how he was in a relationship with a Rothschild heiress and people were like, oh yeah, he's smashing the system, blah, blah, blah. So like a male artist, like, you know, is in a relationship with a powerful kind of symbol of capitalism. It's grand. Grimes, everyone kind of piles on. I don't know. I kind of feel sorry for it, to be honest. Uh, the new album's incredible. I have a lot of time for Grimes. Elon Musk, uh, less so. But yeah. Oh, by the way, in terms of, we forgot the best fucking musician's kid's name. Jermaine Jackson's kid. You remember the name? I do not. I feel like Cullum told us this many moons ago. Your Majesty. Your Majesty <laughs> Jackson. <laughs> That's great. I love it. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. Why don't we check in? Why don't we check in on the rude health of Irish guitar music, Craig? Do you want to do, do that? It. There's a couple of new releases out this week. So um, everyone's favourite fantastic original band Fontaine's DC have dropped a brand new song. Don't get stuck in the past. Say your favourite things at mass. Tell your mother that you love her. I go out of your way for others. Sit beneath the light that suits you. I look forward to a brighter future. Life ain't always empty. Life ain't always empty. Alright Greg, that's Death of a Hero by Fontaines. We don't do songs of the week anymore, but we figure this is worth talking about. They are Ireland's greatest band at the moment, of course, or maybe of all time. And they, in fact, are going to give us another album on the 31st of July. But in the meantime, this is the first taste of it. It has a video uh, which stars Aidan Gillen. And I, I think the brief for the video must have been, get me as close as physically, humanly possible to a girl band video without, you know, getting us into full on legal trouble. Also, have you seen this one? It's called Paul and it's directed by Bob Gallagher. Have you seen this one? Because, uh, yeah, th- yeah, just yeah, do that. Yeah. But with less money and nuance <laughs> and with a song that even by their lofty standards is utter, utter trash. <laughs> 
I was wondering what you were going to say about it um, after that non-biased intro. Yeah, not a huge fan. I do like when bands um, quickly follow up on a debut, particularly an acclaimed one. Um, I think it's a good move. So I was interested to hear the kind of quality of what they're coming back with. Um, This was kind of doing nothing for me for most of it. I do like the second half. I think it kind of, it gets a bit unhinged and... They were talking recently enough about how the Beach Boys were going to influence their sound. And I think that's what we're supposed to be hearing when we get to the back end of this. Um, and I kind of like the way it's a bit warped. But as per usual, like the vocals and the lyrics really are doing very little for me. It's grand. I was I was listening to Six Music today and they had Green on. Um, in the morning they played the track and they were gushing about it. And they had Green on in the afternoon. And I feel like I'm like taking crazy pills. I'm like, what? I don't... The hype, like, is unreal. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. This isn't going to change my opinion. I think they've got some decent stuff. Um, I think lyrically they're way overrated. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I mean, like, look, uh, it's kind of open season at this stage and I, I'm not likely to change my opinion. But I mean, I do think that this, uh, they also, they wrote this batch of songs apparently quite early doors after writing the last album because they were like, yeah. Oh, we wanted to prove to ourselves that you know we're not just a flash in the pan, and like we are, this is real, and uh, I know, like we have that. conviction, like- and yeah, absolutely. Um, but like, sorry, but like, uh, this might sound like a really like lame fucking critique, but give me a chorus, <laughs> like give me some sense of of build here. I'm sorry, but just like uh, ominous guitar line and thumping drums with shit repetitive vocal refrain in the vein of Marky e. Smith. You know, it's just it's just real dime a dozen um and then the half-ass kind of harmony kind of bah, 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 that's in the, the thing where it's like that was kind of working for me i it's just, not, like it was a though. bit atmospheric i don't Why know you, come on it's not like like th- my whole thing is this right uh, we, we we i was gonna say we can do so much better than fontaine's dc but we already are in so many different departments i don't really understand why someone threw darts at a fucking board and this is what we're this is what has been decided to be put forward i I don't really understand why people are just so fucking wet for this band i I just don't get it um i I, i'll probably give the album a go but i'm just i'm I'm once again bemused and 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 baffled and i was further bemused and baffled this week craig when the murder capital who are kind of like you know fontaine's um more art college little brothers came along and they did a, a kind of a session for BBC made a veil and chief among them the lead off track is uh, is this little number here I don't want to have to share our love I try but I get overwhelmed And you're gone I have no one to tell And I just want to feel you're there And I don't want to so that's my favorite song of last year cellophane by fka twigs reimagined by murder capital improved some would say 
<laughs> oh, no, wait. No <laughs> one would say. <laughs> they're frontman's booming drawl. Uh, there's a moment in this where, like, the, these kind of, uh, you know, discordant industrial Twin Peaks guitars come in and it's it's a nice little flourish. But it's it's really like a mirage in this kind of barren desert of a nothing piece of nothing. Um, I've said before, like, I don't mind Murder Capital at all, actually. I thought their album was good. I've interviewed them before. We know how that went. Not very well. And I just think that they're too tryhard, but I certainly, certainly would pick them over Fontaine's. But what are you doing? What is this? Why would you do this? Like, the, the gall, the arrogance, the audacity to think that you can come along and do this to their song. I'm sorry, but you just made yourself look like an idiot. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I don't applaud their bravery, but I think you need the to bravery. <laughs> I always applaud the bravery. Now there's a band. <laughs> there's a band. I think to create great stuff, you probably have to have a bit of audacity. So I'm never going to disparage a band for like taking a chance. Um, but yeah, it's like such a kind of personal song that is so based on the performance originally that it seems like a foolhardy move. Um, so yeah, they did. It's not. It's not dreadful, but it's like this doesn't really need to exist. Um, there's a lot of cover versions going around obviously given the current state of affairs bands are just doing what they can do um, Jonas Police one actually has got a new covers album coming out um, tomorrow or it's out now as you listen to this um, listener um, which sounds really promising I heard her cover of The Strokes um, Under Control which sounded amazing and she's doing like Prince as well and just all my faves so if we're doing covers I think maybe check out Jonas Police one Keeping it on the rock beat, I'm just going to um, I'm going to breeze right past a very grim news story about Soundgarden countersuing Vicky Cornell, and just say that I really, really hope that all parties can work things out and get it together because that one is turning very sour indeed, and to the point where I don't really want to get into it. But yeah. I will. I'll pivot instead to some ridiculousness. Uh, I got some really, really bad news for fans of Oscar classic Bohemian Rhapsody. Brian May has said that there might not be a sequel. I mean, I know we were all expecting one, given that Freddie Mercury died in the first film, but <laughs> Brian May has come out and poured cold water on this and said that it's probably not going to happen. Don't think we didn't think about it, he says in an interview at Rolling Stone. We've talked. Basically, we think not at the moment. I mean, things could change, I suppose, but I think it would, in fact, be difficult. Gee, <laughs> do you? The, the, I, the, this, is, this is further audacity because we talked about this before where it's like Brian May's whole contention is that like, I mean, yeah, Freddie Mercury was obviously very interesting, but, you know, what about these guys? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I still haven't seen the film. So, oh, yeah, I just assumed it ended with him passing. But apparently, I mean, spoilers, I guess, but it's like it's when he gets like when he learns that he's contracted HIV, but they don't go into like his, you know, his withdrawing from public life and his passing in the last couple of albums. So you could maybe do like a really, really grim um, portrayal of that, <laughs> like. Is that true? I haven't seen the film. Uh, it ends with Live Aid, essentially. And yes. Yeah, okay, he's, right. He's, as I he's thought. contracted so you, the disease. I genuinely can't recall if they show a quick cut. They definitely have some kind of like um, end credit title card that is like, Freddie Mercury had to go back to his home planet, aka died. And it's like, first of all, you should really see it just to see it. And I, I, yeah, I'm not yeah, being yeah. mean to him. I'm being mean oh, I know, to I know, the I know, film. I know, I know. Like, because it's a really bad film. Like, I think you should like. And for the record, not a Queen fan, think Freddie Mercury was probably the greatest frontman they'll ever be. I know that's like another freezing cold take of me, but genuinely one of a kind. Um, why haven't you watched the film? If I had to watch it, I feel like you have to watch it as well. Any clips I saw, really, really. It just gave me a headache, to be honest. 
Okay, they'll do that. The editing sure. was it seems dreadful. Just cutting between cameras. The performances seemed like caricatures from the very... You can't always judge on clips, obviously. Now, I, I, no, I probably no, no. will watch you're, it. You're fairly spot You can't. Oh, really? Okay, fair. <laughs> I still think you should but watch yeah, it, though. Like, I, like, to your point about Brian May, was it Sasha Baron Cohen who was kind of talking out of school about how, obviously, he was um, initially going to play Freddy, and then he saw the initial script, and Freddy died. I think in, in the first couple of drafts, Freddy passed away about, like, Maybe not even halfway through. <laughs> and then yeah. the band, the rest of the story was like, the band carried on victoriously without him, yep, led by Brian is, May. <laughs> that is true. That is that is what Brian May and the other lads thought the film should be. <laughs> which oh is my fucking God. brilliant. Well, he goes on to say in this interview, there's a million things in our career which you couldn't show in a movie since the movie had to be simplified to make it watchable. Yeah, they had to dumb it down. They had to dumb down the story of Queen. It's a fucking, it's a complex narrative, Craig. Uh, he said, you know, uh, we don't really think there's another movie there we should look somewhere else there are other ideas we had I don't think a sequel will happen but we have looked at it pretty seriously so it sounds to me now listen I don't know I'm not in these meetings it sounds to me that someone has turned around to Brian May and said no no I think uh, I think we got it I think we're, we're done in one, in one go <laughs> <laughs> we had a yeah, disaster totally. of a production uh, we've run out of road narratively and I think, yeah, please stop calling me Brian May is <laughs> basically yeah. what's been in, going on here. In the same interview, he was talking about the whole COVID situation and um, kind of bemoaning the fact that, like, obviously he was, you know, he's a sensible man and when it comes to societal issues and stuff, uh, he was bemoaning the fact that Queen's biggest tour of all time had to be cancelled or rescheduled with Adam Lambert or something. I'm like, Jesus, really? Are they doing bigger numbers than when Freddie was around? I guess they are. Um, but yeah, of course, that's concern. across the like, board. Yeah, pe- pe- people, yeah. still, people still part with their tickets. Would you go if tomorrow all sanctions to Queen? was the only show? Well, it was the only show in town. What if it was the only show in town? And, and you knew that you could go and you wouldn't actually, get the vid. I actually saw Queen <laughs> in the tr- whatever what was it the O2 at the point at that point at that point huh? um, with Paul Rogers fronting them. I got a ticket to it, and it was a fine show. I'm not the biggest Queen fan either, but it was a fine show. I it was, was there a fine the show. Saying, Come a- back on stage, Queen, and carry on playing. <laughs> <laughs> so been there, done there, or bun- been there, done that. I don't think I need to see Adam Lambert. Um, no, no, I'm done. Okay, well, what is the future of live music then, Craig? I believe you've uh, prepared a special report this week. Yeah, so um, Arkansas is coming back next week with its first socially distant concert. Um, Travis McCready, frontman of country rock band Bishop Gunn, will deliver an intimate solo acoustic performance. Um although extensive measures will be put in place to ensure the safety of everyone. Um, tickets can only be purchased in fan pods. So this is the idea of like two between 2 to 12 seats are going to be in these pods that are 6 feet apart. I'm not sure if they're proper pods or it's just like logistically spatial couplings. Um, yeah, face masks are going to be available for purchase at the event. They're required for all attendees. This sounds like a dreadful idea from the billing to the logistics. Um, but yeah, different countries are trying different things. Um, it would Sorry, seem it also says, like um, it says that uh, fog sprayers will be will be at the event as well. And I misread that sa- and assumed that f- I assumed that fog sprayers were was like an old country, <laughs> an old country blues legend Bluegrass. is opening for Bishop Gunn. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely, yeah. Used to sanitize the venue before and after the event. Um, while bathroom Get restrictions will also be in place. Yeah. <laughs> 
This is not a good idea. Um, yeah, America seems like more of a hellscape than usual. But yeah, kind of around the globe, people are trying to bring back shows. Um, so it seems like maybe the drive-in thing might be an yeah, option. I think um, that that artist that everyone seems to love, who I've never heard, uh, Mark Rebelay or something is his name. He's doing like the first, or at least is mooted as the first drive-in tour. Which again, you got to be feeling that the lads and at the drive-in are kind of like, oh, for oh, fuck's yeah. sake. <laughs> like, Missed a trick. <laughs> it was right there. Um, Electric Picnic still not cancelled, by the way, even though Rage Against the Machine have cancelled all of their dates until... They'll cancel all of their American dates, and it's pretty much right up until the picnic date. They haven't officially said we're not coming to Ireland, but come on. And I it's think a lot happening. of the other acts as well are, have, have, have pulled as well. So it, it really is a matter of days at this stage, I would say. But is there anything to look forward to in terms of Ireland and music and in a week in which the government have said we can maybe bring back some weird pub seated area things, but no music. The devil's um, music. The, the whole country's going footloose. I'm just looking at the running order and there seems to be nothing to look forward to. No, Dave. <laughs> what about what about social distancing music festivals, Craig? Yeah, well, that's not going to happen, is it? Do you not think so? So, like, this is part of the exit plan, and a few kind of international uh, uh, media companies have picked up on it, and they were like kind of look, looking at the phasing, and it seems like maybe towards summer's end something might happen. So, the final phase, of course, is August tenth. It does mention the return of like larger social gatherings. This is probably why EP hasn't been fully cancelled as yet. Um, but yeah, I like. Like the exit plan stresses the festivals can only take place in accordance with both indoor and outdoor number restrictions and where social distancing can be complied with. But there's so many variables. I can't see how this is going to happen. And as you were saying, like in terms of the bills, I mean, there's like slim chance of getting any international acts to just like bail over to Ireland and not do any dates elsewhere. I can't see it happening. Yeah, it'd be kind of irresponsible if anyone came over. Uh, have you been watching any of those kind of lockdown-y kind of stuff? I tend to shy away from them, but I will say that I tuned into uh, Pitchfork's Hamilton Lighthouser one last weekend. Oh, was, him, was that good? It was good. It was him in his front room of his gaff, and there was like an old fella, presumably his dad, on piano or a bass in the background. Then there was someone else, and then I think his wife, and then there was like uh, his kids. So there was like four little girls doing all the backing vocals for him. And it okay. was, of course, being Hamilton Lionel, very charming. Charming. Charming as <laughs> all hell. Yeah, it was good. But generally, I just, I don't know. I just find it kind of weird, this whole grainy look at someone's gaff as they're like whiling away an acoustic guitar. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I the mean, Radiohead like, stuff has been good, where they're literally just like um, delving into the archives and like um, streaming full shows or near enough to full shows on a weekly basis, just of like festivals gone by and stuff you mightn't have seen before. Like, I think that's the best possible approach. But I do like fair play to people doing sessions. Some of them seem intriguing. It's just like an overflow of them at the moment, though. I see The weekend popped up on American Dad there a few days ago, did a hilarious song, and supposedly wants to get involved with The Simpsons now. Yeah, uh, the song question is like um, <laughs> him talking about how he's actually a virgin because, haha, he gets laid a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the right woman, it's the source of all my powers, and it's one of those ones that's, I guess, supposed to be self-deprecating, but it's actually just like, yeah, I'm a actually total ladies' man. <laughs> um, and he was talking about the episode, and he's like, yeah, yeah, like, you can't really top American Dad, or uh, maybe The Simpsons, and yes, that would top it. Um, well, he doesn't I, I just, just want to star in it, though. He wants to collaborate on an episode. He says he has a great idea for The Simpsons. Yeah, because apparently he co-wrote this American Dad episode. 
I yeah. saw. Um, I just saw there on Twitter a few minutes ago that uh, the episode of The Simpsons that will air in the states to presumably an audience of no one this weekend uh, have a Weezer involved. They're doing, they're doing the theme tune, and they're going to be on the episode or something. So I mean, the they have kind got of cooler. <laughs> yeah, they turned into a cartoon a long time ago, so it seems like fitting. Okay. Um, <laughs> any other news? <laughs> <laughs> No, we do our top fives. Let's do it. I just, feel, I just feel really like I, I just feel like this kind of strange nothingness at the moment. I, like, I, I, okay, I I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, here's one for you. Right, do you know what I've done? I've watched, I've watched six, right, six bleak Korean films in the last five nights while in the midst of a deep depression. <laughs> it's just like, why, I can what go, am I doing? I can go <laughs> why bleaker. Am I doing this? Do you want me okay. to go bleaker? Yeah, I always. Do. I found myself getting into those fucking classic albums, classic rock albums, documentaries. You know those like fucking VH1 ones where it's just like some like kind of guitar intro and then it's like <laughs> a look back on Fleetwood Mac's rumours. This band were falling apart. Mainstream success was right on their doorstep. <laughs> and then it's just like talking about how they're all sleeping with each other for like the fucking millionth time. So I started watching those and I went through a rake at them. Steely Dan's one is incredible actually. The Asia one, they just seem like absolute lads. Um, I'm getting into I'm getting into Steely Dan and like proper dad rock. The Grateful Dead. I don't know what's happening to me. Yeah, I can't stop watching bleak Asian cinema, and they've all been bleak. Like every single one of them has been really, really bleak and just hopeless. <laughs> I'm just like, what am Do I doing? Do you have a recommendation? Like, Should we all get uh, on board? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, like so I've watched. Um, if I can, off the top of the bonds here, I'll try and recall what I've watched real quick. Uh, a bittersweet life. The Wailing, which I think is a really good film. It actually genuinely scared me. I found it really hard to sleep afterwards after I watched that one. The Wailing. Oh. Uh, the Yellow Sea. The Chaser. Really grim film right there. I watched Thirst and also Mother. Bong Joon-ho's Mother. Uh, there's probably one more in there that I'm forgetting right now. But yeah, it's it's been a hell of a run. And I'm probably going to keep it up after this podcast. Where can we find these films? See, I think you might have said already, but can I get um, these on Netflix? No. No. Well, no. By illegal means. Is that what you're doing? I don't, don't know what you mean. <laughs> There's this thing called the uh, the Deep Web, Craig. In okay. Which, um, I think most of them are available on like Google movies type stuff. Um, <laughs> the Deep one. Web is where uh, I get most of my VH1 content. <laughs> I'm probably going to rewatch Burning. Oh, I, I am going to break the trend though this weekend because uh, Gladiator just turned 20 years old. So I'm going to go back and watch that. There's all I these think pieces in now. Years. There's all these there's all these fucking think pieces now that are like, oh, Gladiator actually was not a good film. And it's like, no, it was it was really, really good. Fuck off. Also, really, I also really started good. watching um <laughs> so I started watching the X Files <laughs> from the start. Oh my must am- be so dated. It's ridiculously dated. Like I guess at the time it was well it wasn't groundbreaking, it was still kind of riding on the coattails of Twin Peaks, but it was prestige TV at the time, and now it just seems like every fucking procedural CSI at the moment. I mean, obviously, you know, the the two of them are very charming and charismatic and it's watchable, but it's like good, like background fare. There's one episode in particular where <laughs> members of the British aristocracy keep, keep bursting into flames and it turns out to be like the Irish gardener. <laughs> and he's literally introduced by saying, top of the morning to you. <laughs> and there's a clip of the company just being like, could it be the Irish Republican army? <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> So good. 
Okay, I love it. Uh, hey, by the way, before we get to the top five real quick, do you remember uh, off mic when you were like, oh, it'd be nice to have like a 45-minute episode for once. Good job. We've just passed that. <laughs> oh, yes. It was all golden indeed. content. Well worth it. And speaking of golden content, Craig, it's time for our top five. And this week, it's yeah. best album openers. Do you meant to say you chose this topic? I think. Was it you? Yeah, I did suggest it. Um, we'll probably do closers at some point in the future. Um, it was one that was on our list for a long time. Um Another tough one, really. Another kind of case of me suggesting it and then being like, okay, this shortlist is going to be massive. Because, of course, most artists want to make a great first impressions. So, so many just like classic songs. My line of thinking with this was I kind of have to like the album as well that goes with it. And I didn't really try and like cheat. Like it was stuff that just, to my mind, really kind of captured a moment for me. Um, there was some songs like I was thinking about going for maybe a Stone song like a Gimme Give Give Shelter or something mad obvious and then like I couldn't even remember if that was the opening track it just turned out it was so I'm like okay I'm not going to pick that but um, yeah I guess I guess my, from my point of view it doesn't just have to be a good song you can have good songs that maybe aren't the best opener I think I've, I've said that before with um, The Life of Pablo and Ultralight Beam I would not have it in that position um you kind of want to set an atmosphere leave people wanting more i don't know how did you approach it uh not like that <laughs> so <laughs> so Kanye's uh, on it. Say- <laughs> <laughs> fuck you craig um i did uh think of gimme shelter as well i was like oh yeah it's such it's a classic so good. But again when you listen back to it though it is one of the greatest songs of all time like it's genuinely incredible it. and i wanted yeah. i wanted to throw it in and be like anyone who's uh appreciates a martin scorsese film Marky's fa- yeah Marky favorite <laughs> um there was loads my shortlist was massive in the end and it was very much a case of like okay i mean like what like should it have to have cultural impact is that important i mean like does it yeah, need yeah. to be the signal of an amazing album or could it be an outlier i mean and in the end i kind of just went with my gut as i always do I tried to have a bit of a, a, a good sweep and there was some stuff here and there which were like vying for the number five spot but ultimately it is and this is yet another disclaimer we're not trying to give you the definitive ironclad this is like fucking this is put canon. It in a museum. <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is what we chose. These are our favourites or, or maybe in your case something more meticulous. Why don't you kick us off this week? Okay. Um, this is I think relatively a kind of recent one maybe second most recent one on my list um and yeah a new york band that introduced themselves with what i think might be the best thing they ever did Yeah, so that's Untitled um, by Interpol, the first song from their first album, Turn On The Bright Lights, and this is kind of what I was talking about, setting an atmosphere. Um, Just, I've loved this song for a long time, I think for what is like an incredible New York City album, this totally paints that scene immediately, like the sonic elements, the guitars, it just kind of chimes with like streetlights, sirens, you feel like you're kind of emerging from a subway with it and it's both like affecting lyrically which isn't always the case for Paul Banks but it has that kind of slight sinister edge that was Interpol at their best where like when he's talking about coming around sometime you're not sure if that's the best thing 
Um, but yeah, it turned out that they wrote this specifically to open up their live shows um, and to really announce themselves. It sounds like it. Um, pulled it off with a plum. I think it's it's a pretty much perfect song. I don't know if they ever topped it as well as they say. This kind of like sets the broad brush strokes of everything that would be Interpol. And you could say that like from that point on, they were just filling in the details of what they were as a band. Yeah, I don't think they ever topped it album-wise either, for certain. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. this is their apex. They're a strange band, Interpol. I mean, like, there was this thing doing the rounds, uh, friend of the show and wild youth guitarist Ed Porter put up a thing today on Twitter where he was like, create a festival out of the letters in your first name. And so I went with oh. David as opposed to Dave, so I could get another act in there. And I went with Dillinger Escape Plan, At The Drive-In, Vince Staples, Interpol, and Denzel Curry. But when I got to the I, I was like, there's fuck all I's. Like, and I was like, okay, I guess it's Interpol. And I was kind of like, almost like, oh, are Interpol a bit naff? Like, like, are they a bit naff? But I saw them live at the Olympia before, and they were fantastic. I do think album by album, they kind of expose themselves a little bit more as like, they're just getting very close to just dad music, aren't they? And like, but then again, you come back to this album and it is phenomenal. I don't think it ever really kind of had the, like coursing through my veins effect on me at the time. I kind of came to it later. Did you, yeah. were you day one purchase of this one or? Um, yeah, I pretty much was on board straight away um, because it was obviously the whole scene of guitar bands around New York at the time and they were doing something quite different, obviously, you know, quite influences, influenced by Joy Division, but this was a much kind of bigger sound. Um, have I stayed the course with them? Not so much. I like the El Pinter album, um, but they've, yeah, they've taken some weird turns. They've done some kind of downright cringy work as well. Um so they might be one of those bands where we've had that discussion before. If they just called it quits after the debut, they'd be utterly revered. Do you know what I mean? They'd be like this legendary entity. And now they just seem like, a, you know, a once great band. Probably still good to see live. Um, to your point about the, the festival thing. By the way, the gender representation in your name <laughs> was atrocious, buddy. I mean, do you, what, what do you want me to do here? You want me to just like fucking reach for? I'm only joking. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, you're right. I should have put in fucking Ida Maria in there instead because she was you. great, wasn't she? Yeah, sorry, I, I knew, I knew it. I, even when I put that tweet, I was like, someone's going to come along and they're going to cancel me based on. I only that had five. Was me. I, I, I was under very, very strange parameters, and uh, anyway, look, it's Throwdown Festival. Just get involved. Interpol are the are the breather. Okay, uh, number five for me. So I was I was hemming and hawing. There was loads. Of, like like I, I don't know about you, but like if I if I have like a kind of a backlog, I, I tend to just kind of put it in a Spotify playlist and just kind of shuffle them up and down. And and what feels like well, this has to be number yes, one. Yes, yeah. This is and then you have like this massive overrun. So I a whole bunch of stuff that probably could have been number five. And for a good hour yesterday, I was wrecking my own head. You know, before I went to watch a really intense Korean film, I was like, <laughs> okay, should it be, should it be Fake Empire by The National? Because that's such an oh, amazing, beautiful me well. song off their best album, Boxer. And it's just, it hits perfectly every time. And I was thinking, I know it's a deeply unsexy choice, The National, but it's just an unbelievably great song. And then I was like, no, no, just just go with your gut, go with what you had before go back to Teenage Dave. So let's do that right now.
right, it's Jimmy Eat World and Bleed American. Doesn't it just make you want to not study for your leaving, sir, Craig? Yeah, a lot of things made me not want to study for my leaving, sir. But yeah, that'd work. <laughs> so it is opener. Bleed American. It is Bleed American. It's not called Salt, Sweat, Sugar. It's not off the album called Jimmy Eat World because they were retitled events after the events of 9-11 when the album was re-released around that time. And Jimmy Eat World were forced to change the name. I think Bleed American is a phenomenal name for a song. I think you're onto a winner right there anyway. I recall seeing this in the glorious days of MTV2 and just being absolutely blown away. It was my introduction for, to Jimmy Eat World. I'm sure it was the case for an awful lot of people. They're one of those bands that, again, kind of like Interpol in a way, like the older that they get, and then they kind of keep rehashing the same stuff. And it does get weird when these guys who are clearly in their mid to late 40s are singing about high school. Um, But they're always this kind of, you know, they come from the kind of American football-esque emo side of things, really, that kind of way. Um, Very sensitive, really good propulsive rock music, though. And I think this album is a genuine classic. I think it's brilliant. I think it really, really holds up all these years later. I think for a lot of people, it was quite a touchstone record. And an awful lot of love is present on the album but this opener is just such a fucking great bolt of lightning um i'm never tired of it it really just careens ahead i mean this is the album that people will come back to for songs like the middle and hear you me which are very affecting as well in their way and i think they did manage to capture that kind of sense of fleeting youth very very well it didn't feel forced to me it felt very genuine and i just think that as a straight up awesome rock song especially to kick off a record like you can't really do much better than this for me yeah it's really bracing i was never so much on the jimmy world bandwagon um why this one in particular when you look at a lot of great examples of the genre were out around that time did this like what did this opener do differently for you it's less about what it did differently and it's more the fact that it just kind of connected like immediately almost like sight unseen and it would have been back in the day as well of like after school, going down to that fucking record shop that was down in some basement in Drada and just kind of being like, oh, cool. Like even like even the album cover to me is kind of iconic in its way. And it was it was a discovery record. It was one that I wrote about when I first started to even kind of flirt with the idea of reviewing an album terribly, by the way, like really overwrought. <laughs> Not like today when I just nail it in about, you know, got to start words. somewhere. Um, yeah no you've got a point there was a ton of this kind of music doing the rounds at the time I mean it was it was a good time for the guitar band even though I think it still is uh, look at Fontaine's but basically it's like um, it's just always had that kind of emotional kind of connection for me and like it yeah I mean like it it, it has that weight it has that kind of sense of place and time for me and it's just like it is I used the word touched on already but it is that for me it is it's kind of like a weird time capsule and yeah it's like a weird kind of method of communicating with your teenage self Hope that's good enough for you, Craig. Totally is. Um, my fourth choice is, um, you know, we recently reviewed Fiona Apple's um, Perfect album, um, according to Pitchfork, uh, a 10. And we were discussing like how many 10s were dished out. And we kind of said, yeah, like I, I think I was saying, retrospectively, I think a lot of albums have gotten it. This is one of them. Um, check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, we're floating in space. That was, ladies and gentlemen, we are floating in space by Spiritualized, uh, 1997 masterpiece of an album um, from Jason Pierce. 
who was writing at a time when he was utterly heartbroken for a dude that is generally kind of quite utterly heartbroken. Um, he was in the midst of a really, really bad breakup. I think his partner had like ran off with Richard Ashcroft, which is something you never want to ha- see happen. It's the one like, thing you didn't want to happen. It's the one thing. Fuck Ashcroft. <laughs> um, he sunk into a kind of substance uh, problem, um, which, you know, he's battled with for years and years. And somehow he pulled together this incredible mashup of old school rock, but also quite classically influenced sounds. And this is such an incredible scene setter, just like the kind of floating nature of it. Thematically, it's so good. They were, you know, all his work, I remember interviewing him about eight or nine years ago, and he's still a dude that seemed to like to get high and would talk a lot about substances. And he was kind of joking. He's had a lot of health problems. He'd had a kind of a scare with his liver the year previously when I talked to him. And he's like joking about, oh yeah, now I'm on medicine that's supposed to make me better. He'd also like previously technically died twice, um, came through it. And then when he left the hospital, was like, just went straight to the pub, ordered a pint of wine. Um, so quite the character. But this was him putting all of that kind of brokenness to really good use and like immaculate use. And I don't know how he kind of constructed this in particular. You've got those like intertwining vocals where there's lots of layers of things going on. It really has that feel of like just kind of weightlessness um, based on the Elvis Presley song. Um, obviously, you've got the kind of the, the sample of Canon and D there as well. It's such a good opening. Like, I think the album was really, you know, playing up to the whole we like substances thing. It was like presented in like a prescription pill box and had like the tin foil you have to pop to get the CD out. And of course, you kick off with the joke of like, we're floating in space. But I think it's a really good scene setter. Uh, devastating kind of emotionally um, and an incredible band. Great live too. Do you think um, that's where Sam Allardyce got his pint of wine inspiration from, possibly? I hope so. I would love it if Sam Allardyce <laughs> was a massive spiritualized head. It'll be a great reveal. So hang on. Was it when you went to a gig of theirs in Vicar Street, I want to say, that basically blew your fucking mind, right? Yeah, it was four or five years ago now at this point, I'd say. It was one of the best gigs I've seen. They did like a 25-minute version of Cop Shoe Cop, which is the closer for this album, and it was sensational. Um, They remind me weirdly of like a chromatics where it's very self-serious and it's very like cool and stylized, but they have such kind of conviction, like downward gazing, just like this means everything, even like really simplistic pop lyrics. They like... I don't know, they convey it with such kind of sheer will and devotion that you're just kind of bowled over by the kind of enormity of their sounds. And that was the case with that live show. Um, yeah, okay. tremendous band. So next up for me is, it's a step up for a group that would eventually step up themselves to become, for me, one of the best bands in Britain. And also, I think this is has similar enough kind of themes with regards to it bringing you to a place. So hit that music, producer Dahi.
spectral croon of Faris Badwan of The Horrors. The track is Mirror's Image. It's the opener to their sophomore record, Primary Colors, which arrived in 2009. And this was the moment for a lot of people when The Horrors took off the fright makeup and the gloves and stopped resembling some kind of student art project that was designed to simultaneously scare your parents and maybe appear at the fucking end of year NCAD program and actually (laughs) become something of not just a real band, but a really fucking good band. And I think ever since they've really kind of stepped up and stepped up, uh, you might pick something like Skying as your favourite album and you'd probably be right to do so. But I do think that they remain compelling with everything they put out. Of course, recently the album V, I think is very, very strong, containing one of their best songs ever in Something to Remember Me By. But Mirror's Image, way back when... This kind of near five minute, just fucking strange macabre dance that really, really takes you to a different kind of dimension. By the end of this record, when you get to like see within a sea, I think it manages to kind of carry over. It's a weird voyage, but in the best kind of way. I think for a long time, if you knew of the horrors before this, you weren't sure what they were. They were very easy to dismiss. They were kind of crap. Um, like they had stuff like Kent and Fives, which was quite. Kent and Fives was good. a jam, man. Yeah. Kent and Fives is great. I like it a lot. I was on board straight away. But yeah, they were <laughs> very novelty were. and schlocky, <laughs> and they seemed destined to like last six months. I did not see them blooming into like one of the most sophisticated acts in Britain. That's the thing. I mean, like, they seemed very throwaway and they seemed just very of the time, very kind yeah. of like enemy or, I mean, like, I don't know if Vice was around them, but just, just very like obvious or something or just like almost like made up for fun. And then, I don't know, I don't know what changed. I don't know if just one day they were like, actually, hang on, we're actually really, really good. So why don't we just be really, really good? And it, it's no surprise to me that like kind of around this time when Nine Inch Nails were doing their LCD sound system impression and doing a farewell that wasn't a farewell, they invited the horrors along with Dillinger's Escape Plan to open for them at their final shows. And that felt like a real kind of passing of the torch and a real like, oh, there is something to these guys. They do have substance. Even beyond that, I think it's on the record. And yeah, I'm sure you're on board with this pick, right? Yeah, uh, they're a band that do the whole kind of sculpting of an album really well. Like they take it seriously as an art form. So like, of course, their openers are always great. I think straight away you hear the Jeff Barrow influence, like getting him on production and all the kind of uh, nous and brilliance he brought to Portis Head. You kind of hear that coming through. Um, It's, yeah, topped and tailed really well. Mirror's Image is incredible. By the time you've closed with like Sea Within a Sea, you've gone on a real kind of voyage uh, with this band and they properly announced themselves. So a tremendous, tremendous shout. Yeah, that's another right. kind of thing that you mentioned there, which I think it, well, like, that, that is another thing that you mentioned there, which I think is quite important is that like, you know, you still hear these arguments today that, oh, the album is dead and blah, 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 blah. It isn't at all, but it's always great to hear one that feels like a proper A to B narrative, you know, a proper kind of novel structure in here. And I think that this is the ultimate kind of kickoff point for that. And as I say, the kickoff point for a band starting to take themselves seriously and deliver consistently across the last decade, which, you know, we should be very, very glad that the horrors are still around, says I. (laughs) Says all of us. Um, My third choice is... A song by Common, but really, we're heading into Craig on Kanye.
Yeah, so that was B intro from Common's B album 2005. Um, Kanye West on production. Um, sorry, Common, I didn't let you speak at all in your own song clip. <laughs> but yeah, of course, I probably had to pick a Kanye track. I was going to go for something obvious like a dark fantasy, which I think is right up there. But, you know, it's become almost a bit of a, a cliche at this point. Um, he does intro tracks really well. And there's kind of two modes of like, do you hit them with uh, a really compelling masterpiece of a song that goes on for ages and ages or do you do a kind of short concise snippet that really sets the tone well this is a great example of that I mean, the sample is brilliant um, it's of Mother Nature uh, an Albert Jones song but it's one of those cases where Kanye takes a very very small fraction of the original track that doesn't really repeat too much and just manages to stretch it out into something else entirely you've got that acoustic bass playing the notes so well just to open it um, and Kanye talked about common being like the hip-hop marvin gay and i think on this album common was definitely up to the kind of up to the role it's some of his most personal stuff it's um just really the, uh, soulful. Just, the, just the three good songs just three, Craig, yeah? <laughs> just like what's going on i will say this is a better album <laughs> than what's going on <laughs> But yeah, it's, I, I just love this as a kind of um, a manifesto as well. Lyrically, the bars are great if you want to listen to the rest of the track. It's not too long. But yeah, um, as a piece of work production-wise, it's it's crazy good. And I think a lot of Kanye's best work as a producer, because I still see him primarily as a producer, is for other people. Like He seems like when he make, he's making music, he's quite generous in regards to... I still think that that summer, a couple of summers ago, where he was um, in Wyoming, he came up with the best beats for other people, the Pusha T album, even some of that Sienna Taylor stuff. The intro to that is tremendous. The Kids He Goes with Cuddy and really neglected his own work. Um, so there's some real gems, not least of all this. Well, we, we might talk about Kanye West later on in the show. <laughs> of I'm course not we entirely will. certain that we will. But for now, the other patron saint of No Encore is about to step up to the plate as Dave's number three. Nikes, the album is Blonde, it arrived on the 20th of August 2016. It would go on to scoop many an accolade, including No Encore's Album of the Year, in which myself, Craig Fitzpatrick and Cullum Regan awarded it full marks across the board, and it was an easy sweep. I remember being in Cullum's gaff the night that it dropped, and of course, there was such a dramatic fucking build-up to this thing, where it was like, when is it going to drop? When is it out? Is it out? Oh my god, is it out now? It is out now! I think I was in Cullum's gaff at like one in the morning, and it was just like, it's out! I mean, it's like, stop whatever you're doing and like just we just got endless which was also yeah, a big moment before. yeah which is still great but hang on i want to i want to bring dahi adroni back in now for just a moment if i can yes because dahi of course wasn't a member of no encore at the time but dahi you're a music producer of sorts um is this a good song <laughs> dahi can you give us your expertise <laughs> i mean it is the album itself is completely amazing like every single time you come back to it it has something new to it i think the most interesting thing about it is down to every single like 
little piece of each track is something that's like done different or hasn't been heard before you can even hear in that that intro uh, and that little snippet there like the kick sounds absolutely mental because it's all this weird distorted sound and then there's all these like delays that are running the beat and everything it's such a simple beat but there's so much interesting stuff going on sonically that like it just sets this bedrock for somebody whose voice you just have to get out of the way with you know what i mean like like he kind of owns this you know it's like a lot of time production can be really really good on a hip-hop track but can almost get in the way of the person's voice but with this album it was just like just just done perfectly like it's better than anything yeah Yeah, i think to uh to quote the insane clown policy it's it's pure motherfucking magic and it genuinely (laughs) is this track when i first heard it just stopped me in my tracks and i was just like oh my god and like the fact that like i'm not really one for the auto-tune chipmunk vocal but he works it masterfully and then when it kind of makes that transition to his actual voice it, like it's it's one of those songs that like i see the video every time as well because the video was this kind of weird bacchanal drenched in just unbelievable lighting and just aesthetic choices and it all kind of followed in and all made sense and it really kind of like, like it's not this this didn't announce frank ocean you know he announced himself long before this and i do think that you can have the Channel Orange versus Blonde debate. Like it's it, it's it's not an easy argument to have. Blonde. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, blonde for me as well. But I, um, I do think that this was this was again like like with the horrors, but maybe on a, like a higher level, it was like maturation and it was the cementing yeah, totally. of a legacy. Um, I think what this it doesn't announce Frank Ocean but it it announces the themes of the album really well as well Um, because obviously when this first arrived it had all the kind of like you know I've got two versions like the duality that he plays with throughout the entire album is all over this thing and that works so so well as well you're just right in that world and in his psyche I guess one of the reasons I wanted to bring Doggy in for that one was because, like, yeah, you kind of already nailed it, but, like, just the sonics of this one. Mm. I yeah, mean, yeah, are yeah. you, like are, like, are you kind of, is this the kind of, not necessarily a sound that you want to emulate, but when you hear this with your kind of producer's ear, are you just like, this is just fucking caramel being spilled all over the place here? Yeah, like, I mean, it's just that, that total lesson in, like, like, stripping back stuff until you get the real, really nice stuff and then leaving everything else out of it. Like, it's, from a production standpoint, it's like, you have to be very brave to leave as much space as you do on that record like it's such a strange record from start to finish and especially on this intro track is that there's not a huge amount going on and there's so much space but that adds to the whole thing and like I always think of this record with I mean the artwork is done by um, uh, Wolfgang Tillmans and like the photography of Wolfgang Wolfgang Tillmans is, is very very similar to the album it has this thing where it's like taking all the normal stuff that's in life and taking all the kind of the normal stuff that people experience and turning it into something really really beautiful and that album from start to finish is just like that even the name nike is like it's such a like a, a normal thing that becomes like a way bigger thing when you repeat it over and over and it's the same with say even like that sample of, her, of his mother like telling him what to do or whatever um yeah it's a magic album and a, and a really really perfect intro it's great nice okay um i was toying with the idea of going with serve the servants by nirvana but instead i went with their older cooler friends Yeah, that's Teenage Riot by Sonic Youth, taken from the album Daydream Nation. Um, 
a really kind of mythical sounding start to what is like a really mythical album uh, a double from a band that were like prided themselves up to this point on their kind of DIY punk roots um, I think the kind of the scene was set by the likes of Husker Du releasing really ambitious kind of longer form albums and Sonic Youth around about 1988 thought okay we can delve more into our kind of jam aesthetics and our kind of experimentalism and you can do punk ethos albums that are longer um and this is just like such a grandiose start like it imagines a world where jay mascus from dinosaur jr um is essentially president and just it's, it's one of those great like anthems to rock and roll and the power of it as a form like as naive as that sounds it just conjures up great images like a universe of itself you've got that very cool kind of kim gordon um whispered intro and then you're straight into those layers upon layers upon layers of humongous guitars it's great it's thrilling i think i got into this when i was about 12 or 13 and i was like yes sonic you man <laughs> Was it a close call between this and Nirvana, or was that just a clever? It was because it was because I love "Serve the Servants." How it just kind of opens really discordantly and does like a lot of my shortlist picks were ones that like got a bit meta and like referred to their career elsewhere. So I always loved like the opening line of "Serve the Servants," where it's you know teenage angst has paid off well. Now I'm bored and old. I just think it's one of the great opening lines. Um, but this is the better song, I think. It it feels more than a kind of song. It's like a musical movement in three parts. And actually, I don't go back to Daydream Nation a whole lot. Um, it's it's a great record, but I think this is the closest they get on on the album to just a really magical kind of immersive sound. It's they could be quite abrasive at times. They were for sure avant garde, but this is a good kind of welding of their pop sensibilities to that. Um, and it's got great acceleration, great build, it's a great song. What were you doing, Craig, on Valentine's Day four years ago? Do you remember? Waiting for you to call, dude. Waiting for you to call. <laughs> I don't know. What, what was I doing? <laughs> what was I doing? You were uh, you were already on a line. You were already having a connection. A connection, Craig. Straight to heaven. I'm still give him raincoats. Know what God said when he made the first rainbow. Just notice at the end of fucking late for the intro. Uh, I'm just having fun with it. You know that a nigga was lost. I laugh in my head cause I bet that my ex looking back like a pillar of salt uh, Cause they've left the script on your ass like Wesley and Spike You cannot mess with the light, look at the channel from 79 We on a ultra light beam, we on a ultra light beam This is a god dream this is a god dream. That was uh, Lil Chano from 79, a.k.a. Chance the Rapper, justifying his entire career with a verse on Ultra Light Beam, the opening track of Kanye West's seminal The Life of Pablo. Craig, you said at the top of this five that you <laughs> thought about this and threw it in the bin. Why, Craig? Why? It's a genius song. Um, but I think in the flow of, uh, do we really have to go into this? I just <laughs> yeah, I picked it. It's it's the segment right, where we talk about up, the song. <laughs> I don't want to talk about music anymore. <laughs> so I've called up shows our folks. You know, infamously on No Encore, um, I saw the life of Pablo for the amazing but somewhat flawed album that it was and you know spurred on by Kanye saying listen it's a living breathing piece of art it can change the whole time I was like okay I'm going to reorder this track listing so I've just called up the playlist I put together which was entitled I Feel Like Pablo and I have the album kicking off with Famous then into Father Stretch My Hands and I thought Ultra Light Beam 
you know, incredible song as it is, should be the closer. And that was more or less because of a pacing thing, more or less because I felt this is really weird where it's so like angelic and celestial and then you're kind of straight into the grubbier side of things. It, it kind of jarred for me. I like building up to like the salvation of Ultralight Beam at the end of the tunnel of excellence that is the life of Pablo. Um, but it can kind of work anywhere. I'm not going to argue with you. It's such a, such a magnetic, majestic piece of work. Oh yeah, I mean, like I'll politely disagree with you in that I will say that I think it no, totally works with with the jarring elements. You're welcome, sir. Because essentially, if an album is at war with itself, generally that's a usual, pretty big red flag that it's not very good and it's messy as fuck. This album is messy as fuck. I think it works though. I think even adding tracks onto it works, and it's not a practice I would ordinarily be absolutely for. If anything, I think the closing track, the the added twentieth that came along, Saint Pablo ties the whole room together like a nice rug in a Coen Brothers movie. And I think ultimately Ultra Light Beam is the perfect way to start this record and the perfect way to start what might be the last great Kanye West album if you don't count Kids See Ghosts, which obviously you should for different reasons, but in the Kanye canon, um, it, this album is genuinely brilliant. It is his id spiralling and sprawling and reaching and grabbing and clawing and grasping and just, it's so all over the place, but somehow it fits together. Somehow his electricity is the thread throughout and he's yet to fully kind of go off the deep end in terms of musical choices and perhaps just his mental state of mind although you can see the phrase you know you can see it fraying at the edges but somehow some way it all works and clicks together and Orchard Light Beam I mean ostensibly a gospel song and much better than anything we got off Jesus is King where it would definitely fit there better as a closer or even an opener perhaps it's just an unbelievable piece of work and yeah I don't really understand how, like, I'm not religious or anything, but I mean, I I, I might have my dates wrong here and I don't want to get into too much personal business, but like, uh, I was at my uncle's funeral when this dropped and I think it was the day that it dropped or if it wasn't, it was certainly like around that time and I was definitely like listening to the song and it took on some kind of weird extra resonance in that it, it, it was this kind of strange vortex of escape that was somehow reflective of the situation that I was in at the time. And it was, of all people, Kanye West letting me know that it's going to be okay. The same guy who fucking, like, did this awkward performance on Saturday Night Live and screamed breathlessly into a microphone to let us know that it's on Tidal now, go get it. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it felt like such an event. Kanye West album releases still feel like an event, even if they are increasingly kind of problematic for a variety of different reasons but this was one time when that kind of heavenly angelic glow was justified and it was justified in a track that he gives it up to most of other people like i say chance the rapper has never been better for me everyone else on this one has their own kind of moment i i i feel like i do overuse the it's like a bit of a play uh, analogy a lot but this is a fucking you know such a chorus of moving parts and pieces he's barely even there but when he is he is the puppet master holding it all together and i don't know i mean like maybe it's his apex maybe it's the last great on a kanye west album moment or announcement or proclamation thereof and it was the weird thing where i was thinking about other kanye west tracks for this i was thinking about say you will off 808 so i was thinking about on site by yeezus and then i was like uh, hang on <laughs> ultra light beam done yeah Dark Fantasy is amazing. Good Morning's amazing. He's good at doing this thing, even on, as we said, other people's albums. Um, yeah, this like this is, you know, perfect amounts of religion in a Kanye song, because it's kind of like it's lyrically playing with ideas of, you know, it could be quantum physics. You could be talking about this weird simulation we're in. There's a nice kind of cosmic, mystical 
you know, whatever you're having your sense vibe to the spirituality of it. So it really is a kind of transcendent moment. Um, Great, great choice. Speaking of transcendent moments, um, transport yourselves, if you will, to 2004, a field in Punchestown, a teenage Craig on a Saturday night. Um, (laughs) The hopes of seeing David Bowie on the Sunday have fallen apart. Um, All you have to look forward to is the darkness closing out Oxygen Festival. Um, Yeah, here we go. That's a plain song by The Cure, who were headlining that Saturday evening. It's from Disintegration. It's the opening song of the album, of course. And it opened that headline slot, and I was pretty feckin' blown away at the time. Um, this was like a nailed-on number one from the get-go for me. It wasn't shifting. It's just so immediately immersive. It's, you know, Disintegration as an album. It's long, it's dark, it's the best example of them at their kind of... Um, romantic gothic best i think um there's some great pop songs on it as well but this is just like the glacial enormity of those synths i can't believe my number one starts with wind chimes but it's such a good song that like and they you know if you see them do live performance of it they will draw out those fucking wind chimes for an eternity and then the kick in is just sensational um Cure are a very, very special band. They've kind of a particular type of magic that it's tough to put your finger on. Um, I was never a goth. I was never an emo. But this was the most convincing case for getting into that kind of thing that I heard. And yeah, plain song. It's It just kind of bowls me over every time. Embrace the wind chimes, Craig. You're the wrong side of 30. It's time to get into this kind of wonderful... Uh, pipe and slippers i would say uh aspect of your musical adventure career yeah no it's an absolute belter what a band what an album oh yeah and actually it's funny you say the being the wrong side of 30 because it was written at a time when you know uh endearingly robert smith was like hitting 30 and he's like oh my life is over i've i'm just a pop star that's had like five you know incredibly successful albums but you know i'm old now over the hill i'm not sure if i'll feel any fresh emotions anymore so like disintegration was so titled because he was like literally like all of the kind of highs and lows of life are falling away from me i'm going into steady middle age of being 30 and this is the masterpiece he came up with um but yeah like I, I tweeted out recently when morrissey did something else that was just dreadful that actually robert smith was the morrissey we needed all along and i stand by that if you need a sad charming musical uncle let it be robert smith <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a beautiful sentiment okay so for my number one which also yeah when i kind of happened upon it and was like cause i actually forgot it was an opener for a time and then i was like okay well yeah that's it that's my number one this song um has been it's been around a while it's uh it's been used in a lot of pop culture craig so uh it was used in films some good ones some bad ones it was used in the film pie which was darren aronofsky's debut it was used in go which is a pretty good movie from around the turn of the century uh it also has been covered by the likes of my beloved dillinger escape plan it's been covered by sepultura it's been covered by tame impala and at live shows i believe and you may well know it from uh, the film snatch you might well know it from adidas ads in the 1998 world (laughs) cup of course it is the unstoppable 
released on yes. the 13th of July 1998, just one day after young David's 14th birthday. It is, of course, Angel by Massive Attack, which opens the album Mezzanine, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal album. And what a song. I mean, does music get cooler than this? Does it really? I don't think it does. It's that yeah, snake it is, guitar it line. Come on. It's just it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, um, it's, I was listening to it during the week. I was like, this cropped up for me and it is when massive attack are at their best there's kind of like no one really that compares it's just such a kind of huge sound um and it's kind of it's it's that weird thing of like it's slow it's almost like drug-induced um slow motion but it just then it builds like an avalanche those kind of guitars i feel like it's where trip-hop meets the cure maybe as well like there is that element of it and yeah it's a, it's a great great song it's just got that power like it's got absolute yeah. pulsating momentum and if i'm if you know i think it, it's one that does drag you up it, it does move you along there's a physical sense to it it feels alive it feels sentient um it's just it feels like armor you know like it feels like actual fucking armor to put on and just kind of battle the world uh whatever you're going through whatever you're not going through it's just got a, such a, a sense of like ridiculous cool to it we saw them live there a couple of years ago yeah um, i was gonna say when they like did their 20th anniversary or something and it was fine but like this was amazing because it was always going to be it, i think it was that moment you're just like oh my god it's there was a couple of, yeah there was a couple of moments <laughs> like that they were just like we're kind of grinning and bearing all the rest of the stuff not to be too unkind <laughs> but yeah. yeah actually thinking back to that show it's like it seems like a horror film now in terms of just social distancing and stuff we're crammed in do you remember my incredible accomplishment Oh my God, I do. When I went to the the bar from, we were like very much in the pit. We were close enough to the stage, right? But just front and center, it was absolutely rammed. And we'd finished our beers and I turned to you and I was just like, we get another beer? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, I'll go. And then I was like, well, will I get two each? And you looked at me (laughs) like, how are you going to do that? So I went off. And I came back with four beers somehow. It was the most stressful thing in my life. I don't know. Waiting through. Oh my God. Because people saw me and they were just like, who is this freak? And they were just like very (laughs) charitable. And they're like, people were clearing other people out of the way. And just like, this guy's trying something. Just like, let him through. Let him through. (laughs) When I got got back to you, people were just like nearly applauding. It was... It was something else. Thank you. It was absolutely magical. Yeah. It would only be better if this song was playing during it, but I don't know if we had that kind of timing perfection, but no, it's uh, I can't really top what you just said there, but it it was a moment for sure. Uh, And I don't think you spilled a drop either. Not a drop. uh, No. (laughs) Glory days. May they come again. May they come again. Yeah, we were really packed in. It does kind of have that transgressive feeling. But no, I think it's a, this is just a, like a perfect song. It's, it's, it's a cure for a bad day. It's immaculately yeah. put together. It's fucking bulletproof. And I adore it. And that was our top five album openers. There are so much more you could pick. I mean, we had tons and tons of shouts. My shortlist was fucking bursting at the seams. I mean, like, what else? I'll give you a very small kind of, like, straight out of Compton. Uh, NWA, yeah. I felt that should be there. Kate Bush running up that hill. Uh, the Grudge mm. by Tool. Prelude 3.0 by Slipknot off the amazing Volume 3, The Subliminal Versus Testify by Rage Against the Machine. A really good pop music shout that was put in was uh, Carly Rae Jepsen's Run Away With Me off Emotion, which is a fucking banger. Um, nice. There's just uh, The Wild Rover by Lancome, which is a, a very, very strong recent one, yeah. which is just amazing. Yeah, I yeah, thought that really you, is. Um, I thought you might go. I thought you might have pulled Jenny was a friend of mine by the killers out of the bag. (laughs) 
I think it's my favorite killer song, but I don't know if that says enough to get in my all-time top top five uh, album openers. It, yeah, no, that that's a good shout in terms of being the best thing on a record as a day opener. Um, there was some that I, it was really painful to leave off. Um, Let's Go Crazy by Prince off Purple Rain is just because, of course, that like introductory speech, which is just so iconic. But it just felt, you know, iconic to the point of like, I don't need people, you know, to hear this again. Um, You know, ladies and gentlemen, we're gathered here today to get through this thing we call life. Um, David Bowie was incredible at opening tracks. So there was a few there that could have got in. Um, Station to Station, the title track, which is like one of my favorite songs of all time. Didn't make it. Um, Sonically, it's brilliant. Uh, it's no game as well. Of um, scary monsters is great. It's a really good opening track for like a mixtape as well because it does that thing where it kind of starts with the sound of a record being put on, and then you're into weird like Japanese vocals and it kind of reminds me of um, the Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads live album where David Byrne comes out and plays Psycho Killer, but like before it, he goes, "I've got a tape I want to play for you." It's just like a really good start to any mixtape. So yeah, they, those were a couple of shouts. Manix are really good at opening tracks. So many, like there was really iconic ones, like like a Rolling Stone. Obviously, the Rolling Stones shouts as well. But um, yeah, fun putting the list together. Your list was great. I had fun with it. Yeah, me too. So next week, um, I think we need to kind of go negative again because we've had a couple of <laughs> we've, we've had a couple of weeks now of like appraising stuff. So uh, for the sake of balance, uh, you come up with a couple of ideas. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna say what they both are, and I'm gonna want you to pick one and go with your gut. Oh. So you've decided on either worst lyrics or worst sub-genres. Now, I was drawn I, towards worst lyrics, but sub-genres could be fun. I think it could be fun. But it, the only thing with it is it might take a bit of rooting around and time research-wise to unearth just like ungodly fucking cringy sub-genres. I think it's one we should definitely do, but I know, don't know if it's like a week away. I mean, lyrics what is also think? its own fucking... Like, lyrics it feels is. like its own and also, journalistic the thing undertaking with, as yeah, well. The thing with lyrics is, do we go, like, particularly excruciating lines, or is it the entirety of the, you know... how What are the perimeters for lyrics if we do lyrics? I think it's, like, lines or a verse or a section in particular that jumps out at you as just being... Yeah, it could be... I mean, like, it's probably... Like, you're probably not going to have an entire song unless it's a novelty song or a... You know, and they're usually off the table. Like we don't usually go in for that. It has to be something that like thinks it's good. You know? Yes, like, of course. Yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. isn't. Yeah, okay, let's one, do lyrics. So we let's do lyrics. Okay, okay, lyrics. And right. we, we so can next... come, we can revisit the other one some other time. Yeah, I've already got one for the subgenres though, which uh, <laughs> staying <laughs> in. That's gonna be fun, man. <laughs> okay, next week then it's gonna be top five worst lyrics. I'm looking forward to that one. And yeah, this episode of No Encore was engineered by Sonic Architect Dahio Droney. Please go and check out his Choice Prize nominated record Loss from last year. It's yes. still great. And it should have won. <laughs> so, <laughs> robbed. He was robbed. Absolutely robbed by Lancome. Incidentally, Lancome were recently guests on the show. Go back and listen to the episode. <laughs> they were very good. And that album was also great and should have won. And it did. Okay, so Craig, what else have you been listening to? Uh, Steely Dan, after all those classic rock albums documentaries, I finally, I finally got into the Dan. Just like the tasteful jazz rock palette of them. Um it's probably the most acceptable version of Yacht Rock you can get, which is, I don't know, damning with fame praise maybe. But yeah, like there were bands that never really clicked for me until now. So Asia by Steely Dan persist with the people because it's beneath that tasteful production. There's some killer songs. Yeah, you've just made a um, David Tapley of Tan and Felix fame, Zara Hedeman of No Encore Occasional oh, Fame. Yeah, very happy big, with that, I think. Big, big, big fans. Dan heads. 
Uh, I have kind of dug back into my own crate of uh, similarly angsty and also like feel good stuff. So once again, the Kid See Ghost album has been broken out of Please Get Dave Out of This Mood Storage, uh, some Linkin Park for the angst, and uh, I fell down an Alkaline Trio rabbit hole. They were a really <laughs> good band. I think uh, if you've never heard them, Private Eye off From Here to Infirmary could have made my top five. It's a hell of an album opener. Good breakneck kind of emo punk from back in the early 2000s. Uh, frontman Matt Skiba, of course, has gone on to replace Tom DeLonge and Blink-182, but I would highly recommend checking out Alkaline Trio, particularly that record and the ones that came before and after it. They're good pop punk for a sunny day when you're wearing all black, like I always do. So uh, that's no encore nice. for this week, guys. And we'll be back next Emotion. week, I hope. Uh, any other any other thoughts on, on Dad Rock for well, us, just, Craig? Um, let me think. Trying to think of um, Grateful Dead suggestions. That might take a while. Maybe it's a full episode. When you what, mentioned what Tom DeLonge there, though, I was just thinking we never discussed the fact that uh, the CIA... Was it the CIA? He came out and like released those videos he'd been going on about, the UFO videos. And we're like, yep, yeah, they're unidentified flying objects. We don't have a clue what they are. And they're quite like weirdly convincing. He was right all along, is what I'm saying. Don't dismiss Tom DeLonge. That's my closing statement. I won't. Uh, Patreon.com slash noancore if you want to buy us a point. Bye-bye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.